Well, it's lovely to be with you. Um, I didn't actually know where Claygate was uh, until I looked it up on a map earlier this week. But I, I know about you. I've heard about you on many occasions. I know Julian Henderson well, and he's talked about the times that he's, he's had here. And uh, I know Philip Pliming well as well. I also know Patrick Bateman well. I know how much he's looking forward to coming and joining you. So, uh, so through a, a number of networks and relationships... Claygate is not an unfamiliar place, and I was looking forward to this opportunity to celebrating with you. And I really appreciate it. I was given this verse by your team to work on, and it's been a real joy to wrestle with it. This verse, um, th this translation is slightly different to the one you've got in your pew Bibles, but exactly the same sentiment, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Shall we say that together? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, the original author of this letter was Paul, who called himself the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he happily took on that mantle. That mantle. But as far as Paul was concerned, his call was to make Christ known to the non-Jewish people. Probably in his time, it must have felt a bit like saying, I want you to tell everyone about Christ who lives outside of the M25 or something. Because there were a lot of people in the world at that time who were Gentiles, i.e. non-Jews. Add to that the context from which he's writing. It appears that he is in prison at the time. And he says at the beginning of the letter, I want you to know that, uh, that my chains have in some ways advanced the cause of the kingdom. But my kind of instinct would, to say, would be to say, well, well, Paul, if you are in chains, if you are under house arrest, as we think he was at the time, and also struggling with a bit of a disability, you know, you probably are not the best person to be thinking that your commission is to transform the whole of the Gentile world. But he is able to say from that context... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just a reminder, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, God gave his grace to me, the least of all God's people, to preach the good news about the immeasurable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. So what's the context that he's writing into? Let me just say a little bit about it. Um, we're told in the book of Acts that uh, Paul visited Philippi. We think he probably visited Philippi two or three times. Uh, but on one of those occasions, he was in a proper jail, you know, chained up, manacled, uh, you know, probably underground, all of that kind of stuff. And Acts chapter 16 tells us about the jailer and the way that God kind of broke Paul free from prison and the jailer who decides that he's about to kill himself because he thinks the prisoner has escaped. And Paul says, don't worry, don't do it. We're still here, still singing songs and hymns and praise to God despite being in prison. Um, and the jailer invites uh, Paul to come visit his home and we're told that the Philippian jailer and all of his household were baptised. So a powerful memory for Paul, not only of being in prison, but also of being with the church in Philippi. And it looks like he was accompanied by Silas and Timothy and Luke um, and preached for the first time on European soil in Philippi. 
He visited the city on two other occasions. And so as he is writing to this community, he has history with them. It's commonly believed that he was the one, along possibly with Timothy and Silas, who founded the Christian community there. So he writes to a group of people that he loves. He writes to a group of people, and it says in this chapter, that you have, res- re- uh, that you have resumed your concern for me, renewed your concern. So clearly he's writing to a group of people who he knows are worried about him because they've heard he's in prison again. And so he goes through this chapter to say, uh, it's okay, I I know how to be content. I know how to be content when I've got everything I need. I know how to be content when I'm in need. I know how to be content when I'm full and satisfied. I know how to be content when I'm hungry. Contentedness then for me is not about whether I've had enough food or drink. It's a state of mind that underpins everything about how I see this world. I have learnt to be content. And then he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And uh, this is a mural from a chapel in Philippi that dates probably from about 300 AD, which is a reminder that right from the early days there was a Christian community in this place uh, and that Paul had already begun to change the Gentile world, in his relationship with the people of Philippi. So this is the verse that we're going to look at tonight. I can do all things. Are there any terms and conditions associated with all things? Is Paul trying to say, if we believe enough, we can do anything? We can draw a three-sided square or be in two places at once. He's not saying that we can do something that defies logic. And he's not saying that that my relationship with God is a bit like having a relationship with a genie. You know, rub the bottle, rub it hard enough, pray enough, ask enough, and anything that you want can happen. If that were the case, maybe he wouldn't have been in chains. If that were the case, maybe, you know, the world would have been transformed in a day. If that were the case, there are all kinds of things that I'm sure you and I would love to snap our fingers and it would all be changed. I've got a very poorly grandson. Uh, I would love to snap my fingers and for him to be well. Paul isn't saying, God is the genie in the bottle. Get close enough, rub hard enough, and anything can happen. But what he is saying, that everything that God calls me into, he will equip me and enable me not only to do his work, but to do it to his glory and to find contentment and those things of the Spirit, love and joy and peace on the road. I can do all things through him who who strengthens me. Now, we're not unfamiliar, are we, in our culture today with the concept of being able to do anything. It's quite common, along with a a whole range of things, there's a sort of sales pitch that says, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You know, the power is within you to, to be whatever. So I thought, well, I wonder if there's any sort of 
little video clips or anything I could find to illustrate that. And quite at the top of the list, something popped up, which just spells out exactly that kind of philosophy. You know, the power is within you. You know, whatever you choose to be, however you want to succeed, uh, it's all in your hands and it can all happen. Have a look at this video. I'll take some comments afterwards. What do you think of it? Any reactions? <laughs> I'll leave the email address for you afterwards. Any reactions to that? Uh, I, mean, I think it's an extreme example, but there's quite a lot of that stuff around. Loads and loads of it. Any reactions, yeah? Shows the spirit of the age because of? You can get whatever you want, yeah. And it's, well, it said that. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Other comments? Yeah, never give up. Yeah, step outside your comfort zone, let go of the past. It's like a string of cliches, yeah? Okay. Any other comments? Yeah? It's all about you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing about changing the world and making it a better place for anybody else, is it? It's a better place for you, yeah. Yeah. Any other comments? A general life kit. Yes. Life kit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to be happy. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Any other comments? Yeah, yes. Yeah, thank you. There's always going to be somebody better. They, they did all have very nice teeth, didn't they? Yeah, which is obviously, <laughs> that, is, that is the key to success. Um, it, looked, it looked like everyone was quite beautiful, weren't they? they were all, and they were all happy. Lots of hands in the air, so they're obviously praising the Lord. Um, I've arrived, I'm successful, I'm there. Uh, there. There was absolutely nothing about how to do that. You know, let, let go of the past. I think quite a lot of people are struggling to work out how you let go of the past. Um, uh, so, um, I, I mean, I, I watched it bewildered, really, and thought, what am I going to do with that? And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you um, what's behind it so that you know. Um, and I thought, I'll redact it. I'll redact, redact the names, because I don't know who these people are, and they're probably lovely people who are maybe members of this congregation. I don't know, but uh, I'll, cross, <laughs> I'll cross the names out. But anyway, Neil and somebody have partnered with... Uh, Slovay top earner Eric somebody or another who talks to Chris and Susan about the launch of Solovay in the UK. So uh, the secret of happiness is, is coming to us because of the launch of Solovay, whatever that is, in the UK. But if you look up the page, it says, sorry, this video doesn't exist on this page. And then it says, uh, there are photos below, click on this button, but it says this button doesn't work and the photo doesn't exist. Okay, so you've watched the motivational video. You then go to the website to find out how to get perfect teeth and look beautiful and have a case full of cash. And it tells you that the website isn't actually working. So I looked a little bit further and I found it's not working because a multi-level marketing mobile service provider, Solovey, has shut down due to competitive landscape. So the thing that was about to bring us happiness and joy and, and put us ahead of the field actually uh, closed down three years after the motivational video was made. 
In fact, it was worse than that because the UK branch didn't actually get launched and, and the global thing didn't cope because the market needed more people like you and I to sign up to their products in order that they become wealthy and are able to have surgery to straighten their teeth. So uh, it, it, the, the reason I say it, and I'm not having a go at anyone in particular, I don't know who these people are, but, but I think what is sold to us often with quite expensive publicity is that we can be anything we want to be, we can do anything that we want to do, and we can do everything because the power is within us. And then we look inside and think, where? Where is it? We know that we can do remarkable things. But whereas that video still seems to be at the top of the list and is standing the test of time, the company behind it lasted three years. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, and his words, we're still talking about them because what's behind him has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. So that's what we're exploring, just in three particular ways. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to explore this just using, making reference to three paradoxes. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jewish thought often makes use of paradox. And the purpose of paradox is to say that there are two things that are true. The combination of the truth takes us somewhere in terms of understanding. So it, it may look like the two things are in conflict with each other, but actually truth is the relationship between these two paradoxical statements. Let me give an example. Uh, I've got three children. Um, my wife and I have got three children, and um, uh, they're all in their 20s and 30s, and, uh, and, and each of them uh, believed that when they finished university, uh, they could easily get a job. They'd been to good universities, they'd done the courses they wanted to, and what they discovered after university was, A, you can't get a job unless you've got experience. B, in order to get experience, you have to get a job. Those two statements are paradoxical. Because actually, they're both true, but they look like they're in conflict. But the reality... Of, of navigating your way through these early stages of career development is understanding that the tension between the two is just, you know, that is how the job, job market is at the moment. And so we find ways of navigating through those two paradoxes. Do you see what I mean? So I want to mention three paradoxes that come up, I think, in this reading. The first one is this. I can do all things. Appears to be paradoxical. If you know the story and the parable of the vine, you will know that Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Paul wrestles with the fact that, uh, in a sense, if the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer of the universe withdrew all of his sustaining of the universe, that, then there wouldn't even be the potential for life itself. So Paul is absolutely aware that, that in his own strength, there is nothing that he can do. Well, there are some things that he can do, of course. Um, he was trained as a, as a, as a Pharisee, and uh, you know, he, he could find a job. But there's that kind of sense of, uh, I, I can't do all things, 
And, and yet God has called me to something that in my own strengths and according to my own ability appears to be so much bigger than is realistic. I can do all things or I can do nothing. I think the paradox is il- illustrated well in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John are going up to the temple at the house of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. A man lame from birth was being carried uh, through When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for some cash. Peter looked at them, as did John, said, look at us. He looked at them, expecting some cash. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter and John standing before somebody, thinking, I know I can do nothing. I can do nothing because he's asking for money, and we don't have any money on us at all. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so not in my name or in my resources, but in the name of one who has all authority in heaven and earth, according to the, the, uh, the Great Commission, Rise up and walk. And in case we think that this I can do all things is only related to sort of religious things, remember the story of, um, of when the disciples, uh, after Jesus' death, went out fishing. They were fishing on one side and fishing on the other and fishing all night and nothing happened. It, it, it's not just about the religious stuff. Even in their work life, Jesus came along to them and said, I know you're the experts in fishing, but can I just tell you, if you put your nets out that side, you'll find that you get a whole load of fish. And they're like, Jesus, hang on. We're the experts here, okay? We know our fishing. We know Galilee. You stick to your woodwork. And what they discovered was that even as they trusted the word of Jesus in their secular work, they found that he was the one who could enable them to do all things. I love the fact that Francis Collins, who was the chair of the uh, Genome Project, when he wrote about the work of discovering the structure of the human genome, he described it for himself as a man of faith, as an act of worship. That the glory of science itself was a searching into the mind of Christ. I did a, I did a church weekend for a parish Uh, where quite a few of the Cavendish Laboratory were present, where Stephen Hawkins works. Uh, And I asked some of the guys, I said, you know, do you you find yourself thinking at all about faith with regard to cosmology? And two of the blokes said, all the time. Because as people of faith, we find ourselves thinking, without the mind of Christ, how do we know and discover And it's like there's something about knowing that God is behind all of this that turns our science into an act of worship, that they find even there that God is ahead of them. I can do all things in my own strength, not particularly, but as God calls me in a direction, so he equips. I can do all things through him. The second paradox for Paul is this thing about strength and about weakness. 
Paul had every right to write about his strengths. He appeared to be highly motivated. Uh, we know that from the book of Acts. Highly educated in that he was, uh, he was trained as a Pharisee. Uh, Well-connected because he was a Roman citizen. Uh, a whole lot of different things about Paul make you think this wasn't the poor fisherman that was called. This is a man of substance, a man of consequence. But as he lists all of the things that were true of him, Benjamin, I, true, uh, true, true Israelite, that I was uh, you know, trained in the school of the Pharisees, etc., 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 he finally says, at the end of it all, I count it all as rubbish, actually, compared to the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Actually, he uses a stronger word than that. He says, I count it all as excrement, or you could you know, change the word as, as you choose. But, but basically he's saying, I, I know that I have substance through all of the categories that seem to matter to everybody around me, but I count all those things as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. A strong man of substance. And yet, given the opportunity to write about strength and weakness, he chose to write more about weakness than he did about strength. And so we discover him writing this. On my own behalf, I will not boast, in 1 Corinthians, except of my weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, says God, is made perfect in weakness. So I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For, and this is the paradox, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Romans says, Romans 12 says, examine yourself with sober judgment. Some years ago, I thought I was a good squash player. I was doing a bit of coaching, and uh, I was near the top of the league in my club that I belonged to, and I was ready to take on anybody. And uh, one of the Welsh national players, whose surname was Khan, so I should have been warned, uh, offered me a game. We went for American scoring, so I thought that would be really easy. We went for handicap. I mean, he absolutely wiped the floor in me. But of course, what he demonstrated to me is that I've still got further to go, that there is more to me to learn. Just as I was beginning to think, hey, I can ease up, I know loads of this, I can do this. And, and that's what Paul is trying to say in a sense, that when, we are, when we're exposed by our weakness, that's the time where we begin to rely fully on God. When, when, I, when I'm aware of my nervousness, about speaking to my neighbor about Christ, when I'm aware of, you know, that's the point at which God says, it's okay to be weak. The reason for that is to remind you that you need my strength, not yours. Now, of course, that's not to say we don't grow strong in things. Of course, I expect all of us are trying to get a bit better at something at the moment. I'm trying to learn the piano. I've been for years must be a little bit better than I was five years ago. It doesn't seem to be going amazingly well, but there you go, you know. I'm working at something. But, but Paul wants to say that weakness isn't the thing that we try and avoid because therein lies self-condemnation. Weakness 
when it comes to the stuff that God is calling us to do, is a really good place to be. If you look at the introduction to 2 Corinthians, um, it's a bit of a shocking letter, really, because 1 Corinthians is so, is so full of kind of strength and power and wisdom and all the rest of it. But something's happened between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and you get the sense that Paul has kind of really had his back against the wall, and he lists some of the things that have happened. And I don't know if you're ever like me. Perhaps you're one of those who say, you know, God never lets you be taken beyond what you can cope with. And uh, I I can think of times in my life where I think I've been well beyond that. Well beyond that. Listen to this from Paul, who says this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we even despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. It wasn't going well. Uh, He was not riding high on joyful contentment. We even despaired of life itself. And then he says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The second paradox that Paul is very aware of, that our awareness of our weakness in the things of God is a key realisation in order to remind us that we're dependent upon him. Even the fact that we said the confession together earlier is just a reminder that being weak before God is not a bad place to be. For when I am weak then I am strong. That's the second paradox. And the third one is about contentment through disturbance. Paul is aware that for him, Christ who strengthens me, the journey of fullness of life, etc., etc., is far more than physical or material. That somewhere at the heart, at the very core of his being, Christ has given to him a security that holds him stable. I love the book of Hebrews that talks about, um, uh, it, it uses the image of the temple where it talks about we have this hope as an anchor for our life. And Hebrews in the big span of the pictures is wanting us to think about two things. Firstly, that our faith in Jesus Christ is linked right back to the beginning and the story of creation. Salvation history has led to this point and my security is not on a company that started back in 2012 but God who was and is and always will be. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so Hebrews then goes on to say that this salvation history that started way back in time at at one particular point You know, my security, my strength, my salvation was purchased through the death and resurrection. His weakness has made me strong. By his stripes, I am healed. That there's a trade in his weakness and vulnerability. That through our weakness and vulnerability, we might find contentment even when disturbed. I wonder what disturbs your life at the moment. I I mentioned about my grandson. What would it be for you? What is it that unsettles you? Is it 
job security? Is it something about finances? Is it something about home or a relationship that's precious? Somebody who's ill? Your own health? There are always things that are disturbing us. Always things that are disturbing us. But if you just go back a few verses, I think we've got a really, really precious bit of advice in Hebrews chapter, uh, in Philippians chapter 4. Look with me back in ver- chapter 4 in verse 4. This is just like a five-step recovery thing for disturbance. I might market it and set up a website. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. What is your thing? What is your thing that came to mind? Was it financial? Was it what was it that disturbs you? Rejoice in. I, I'm not rejoicing in my grandson's condition, but I rejoice in the Lord. Get anchored to that thing from yesterday, today, and forever. Rejoice, and it's almost like. God, that's all very well for you to say that, but do you know what I'm going through at the moment? And I think that's why it's repeated. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Anchor yourself in your disturbance, in the love of God and the presence of God with you right here and right now. Let your gentleness be ever to all. The Lord is near. That's why we sang those songs, and that's why it's so powerful. Because we're not just singing about history. We're welcoming the presence of Jesus into our gathering. The Lord is near. Whatever it is that disturbs your comfort, this thing. But the Lord is near, which means together you face it. You and Christ. It's not between you and him. You're facing it together. Do not be anxious in, every, in anything. You may say, well, it's all very well for you to say it. Somebody said that there's 365 times when the Bible says don't be afraid or don't be anxious. I, I'm not sure, I haven't counted them all, but it does say it quite a lot. And, and I wonder if it particularly says it to our generation where, in a sense, there's such a phenomenal rise in mental health issues amongst us. It's almost like that's the the valve of the pressure that we have within society. Do not be anxious about anything. So what do I do? Well, rejoice in the Lord. Remember that he is near. And also, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let your prayers, let your cries, let your groans even too deep for human understanding nevertheless begin with thanksgiving for what Christ has already done. For in the recognition of what he has done, we find the reassurance for what he will do and is doing as he is near us right now. And so verse 7 is able to say, and that then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've been a church leader for years and years and years. It started in Japan back in the 80s. Uh, churches in the south of that, of that country. 
And, and I've got to say that over 30, th over 30 years or more, 35, 40, goodness, it's 40 years really, of ministry, it, it has been consistently true that when we, either on our own or with trusted friends alongside us, come to God in our times of uncertainty, in our times of disturbance, he has the power to come and settle our story so that we can live another day. And more than that, to be strengthened so that we can still do all that he calls us to do. Chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul writes, I want you to know, beloved, that what's happened to me has helped to spread the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. And that's why Jesus wants us to be secure and comforted in our disturbances. Because sometimes it's in that place that God gives the opportunity for us to speak the word. I forget who said it, but I'm, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens and 90% how we deal with it. Uh, my wife runs a little charity. It's called Taste Life. And uh, it's, it's a, a charity that equips people to run courses um, to help those who are struggling with eating disorders to, um, and, and those who care for them to find a route through. And as I look back on it, you know, I, I, I look back to the day that we received the phone call that any parent doesn't want to receive. You know, my, my daughter was in intensive care unit uh, in the States. Uh, I hadn't known she was having trouble with her eating. We, we nearly lost her. We thought it was uh, the end of everything. I flew over to Ohio to go and collect her and so on. You know, and you kind of think, Lord, this is just one of the worst things that's ever happened to us as a family. How on earth can you make something positive out of this? How on earth? But over the years, as, as Judy recovered and we began to, began to meet with other parents uh, and began to meet with other sufferers and we began to just set up a little group to help people and then gradually that group got a bit bigger and then there was another one and another one and another one and now there's about 30 up and down the country. You know, we just look back and say, Lord, in that moment where everything in us was saying, oh, I, I, I just give up on it all. Life is too hard. It's almost like that's the moment where God said, I'm just lighting a little spark. And although you feel weak in this moment, particularly to my wife, I can do all things. And you can do all things that I call you to do in the strength that I give. And uh, our daughter's fine now, by the way. She, she says when she talks about it, she can't remember the way she used to think. Um, you know, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% what we do with it. So what about this week? Just three uh, short questions, really. Um, Paul said, I can do all things 
that God is calling me into through the strength that he provides. And so question one is, have you got a bit of a sense of what God is calling you into? Do you know what you're here on planet Earth for? Is there something that, you know, perhaps it isn't about, you know, straighter teeth and, and a case full of gold? Maybe, you know, maybe he's put in you something, a dream, a hope, a vision. Um, what's he put in you? Is there anything that you've shelved because you kind of think, he couldn't use me, or I couldn't do that, or my past condemns me? Is there anything like that? Or maybe you've never really thought about it. Maybe this week's a good week to say, right, I'm going to ask each day, Lord, what have you put me on this earth for? What do you want me to do? And it may be a big thing, like a national charity, but you probably won't be aware of it at this stage. It's just one little step. Maybe God wants you to be a little more focused on this or that or the other. Number two. Is there an area of weakness, whether caused by sin or past failure, or whether it's to do with your own perception of yourself? Is there anything whereby you say, you say in your head, you think, you know what, Um, God can't use me because... Dot, dot, dot. Is there anything in there that you just need to trade this week? And say, well, Lord, from my perspective, I think I'm weak. But, Lord, if you're saying it, then I trade my weakness for your strength. And finally, is there any sense or any area of life where you feel you've got stuck? Possibly because of suffering, because of anxiety, because of fear. Maybe this week might be the beginning. I mean, one of the things we say with... Um, with, with those that we engage with who are suffering with anorexia is we invite them each day at the end of the day to jot down three things for which they're thankful that day because there is something humanly about thanksgiving that changes the way we think changes the sense of powerlessness but of course when we're giving our thanksgiving to God it's not just human but it's spiritual So, let's remember this verse for this week. Let's say it together again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray.